Good morning. Let's pray. Father, as the song that we just sang has already said, thank you so much for uh, uh, leading Daniel as he uh, decides on our music. And uh, I just want to give this over to you and pray that you would speak from your word to us. We love you. Thank you for loving us first through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, it's Mother's Day, and today we're talking about angels. That's about as close to a Mother's Day um, talk as we're going to get today, right there. Um, Now, Mark mentioned that some of us have more than one mother, and that's true. God gave me six. How many mothers do you have? I've got a lot of mothers in my life. Uh, God gave me a mother. Almost 42 years ago, and she's here today. Thanks, Mom, for coming. I love you. God gave me a new mother when I got married, my mother-in-law. I call her Mom. I don't know if you call your, your mother-in-law Mom, but she's been a wonderful mom to me. God gave me a wife. <laughs> she's mothered my children, and sometimes she has to mother me. <laughs> right, sweetheart? <laughs> God gave me two older sisters who have been really good mothers to me at times. Jill, see you back there. And God gave me a daughter, Mariah. Do you have to mother your daddy once in a while? Daddy, remember, remember Will's diaper? Daddy, remember the bottle? Daddy, remember this? So I've got six mothers maybe in my life, maybe more. I hope you can appreciate all those mothers that God has put into your life today. So, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today, if you want to turn there along with me. Our world is desperate for out-of-the-world experiences. Still desperate today. I was reading an article recently on belief.net, or beliefnet.com, sorry. It said the the title of the article was Eight Ways to Connect with Angels. Build relationships with them. Spend time in nature. Write to ask them for help. Light a candle. Burn incense. Many angels have a specific color or scent associated with them as well. If you don't know what angel you want to connect to, a white candle works fine. Talk to them in prayer. Write down your angel dreams. Too much caffeine before bed or too much caffeine um, or too much time on your phone before bed can hinder you in recalling your angel dreams. Now they just put a new article up called Six Prayers to Activate Your Angels. Our world's desperate. Pope Francis. Pope Francis said that we should trust our guardian angels to lead us and guide us everyday aspects of our lives. Pope Francis told those gathered for a daily mass to be like children who pay attention to their traveling companion. Oftentimes we have the feeling that I should not do this or this is not right. Be careful. This, he said, is the voice of our guardian angel. Our traveling companion, concluding his homily, Pope Francis put forward the following question. How's my relationship with my guardian angel? Do I listen to him? Do I wish him good morning? Do I say, protect me during sleep? 
Do I speak to him? Do I ask his advice? He is at my side. Uh, after spending three years in Israel, Kelly and I uh, got to get a sense of what uh, the Jews would say about angels. In the Midrash, which is their ancient commentary on God's Word on the Old Testament, they say that no blade of grass grows without an angel telling it to grow. This teaches us that everything on earth has a spiritual counterpart that influences it. Even a blade of grass has an angel looking over it to make sure it has nourishment, causes it to die at its appointed time. That's what the angels do. They also say that when you perform a mitzvah, so when a child turns 12 years old, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, you create an angel that accompanies you. The commandment, uh, the commandments which create the attachment are true. These are true guardian angels of persons that are created. Furthermore, the angels have shifts, singing before God at designated times of the day. That's what the Jews teach about angels. Uh, Now, a few of us from my generation, uh, so, you know, 40-ish years old, kind of our TV show that was maybe most famous uh, 15, 20 years ago was Lost. Had a really strong emphasis on the supernatural. And then came The Walking Dead. Maybe not so much supernatural, but life after death, coming back, and they're not alive, the dead not dead. There's a focus on that. And then today, Stranger Things, one of the most famous shows of the last five, ten years, is described this way. When a young boy vanishes, a small town uncovers a mystery involving secret experiments, terrifying supernatural forces, and one strange little girl. I haven't watched it. And today, today, the top show on Netflix is called Shadow and Bone. A swath of permanent darkness is how it's uh, described. Separating east from west, Ravka, which is inhabited by winged creatures known as Volkra. People are seeking and will continue seeking something beyond themselves. God has set eternity in our hearts. Angels are just one of those ideas that some people grab onto. Uh, So, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 1 today, and get into verses 5 through 14, just a quick reminder last time, verses 1 through 4. The revelation that God took up when he sent his son is incredibly better than any other revelation. Jesus is better. We shouldn't try to add to Jesus Or his revelation from God. The writer of Hebrews continues in this vein throughout much of the book. We got to remember, the Hebrews was written to Jews. It was written to Jewish believers. Hebrews was written to struggling Jewish believers. So as we take a look at this, uh, if you want confirmation of that, look at chapter 5, 11, and 12. It's written to struggling Jewish believers. So as we move forward into verses 5 through 14 today, keep those things in mind. Verses 5 through 14 are 70% of this, verses 5 through 14 are a quote from the Old Testament, are quoted Old Testament passages. And the the author seems to be uh, proving Jesus' superiority by quoting the Old Testament is what we're going to be seeing. 
And that's what he said he was going to do in verse 4. Having become much better than the angels. And then he describes it as we continue in 5 through 14. As mentioned last time that I spoke on uh, Hebrews, the number 7 is especially significant to the Jews and represents some sort of completeness. And that's what we're going to see in 5 through 14. We're going to see seven Old Testament passages that prove Jesus is superior to angels. The author has an unusual method of citation. He almost always neglects the human author. He doesn't say who wrote it, human-wise. Instead, uh, he cites Jesus, he cites the Holy Spirit, and he cites the Father. He is encouraging us to focus on and to see the divine authorship of Scripture. And the reason that Jesus is superior to angels is because God said so. Because God said so. And finally, before we read this passage, the last thing I want to get into is the fact that as he quotes, uh, and as he says, this is what God says, this is what the Spirit says, this is what Jesus says, he says it all in the present tense. The other night at our Awana gathering, I really should have included this as a reason that we commit God's Word to memory. Uh, our author here in Hebrews uses the word in Greek, legon, which means saying. God is saying. He says that about the Old Testament. It's the present tense. It's used uh, in, a, in opposition to what Paul often uses, or maybe Peter often uses. Other writers in the New Testament often say, it was written, or it is written. It was there. It's there for us. Instead, this author says, God says. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to see it as we read through it. So I should have mentioned that the other night because that is a reason to commit God's word to memory and to study God's word. God is speaking to us when we read his word. He is currently speaking to us. It's not just it is written, but he is saying to us. He is saying to you. He is saying to me. Here we go, verses 5 through 14. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when again, excuse me, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So we'll start in here on verse 5. 
To which angels? That's how he starts. To which angels? For to which angels did he ever say? What do we have here? We've got a little bit of a rhetorical question. Did he ever say that to the angels? No, he never said that to an angel specifically, like he said it to Christ. You are my son. You are my son. Some might say that this passage here that's quoted in verse 5, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, that's only speaking of David. For sure the Jews would say that, those who aren't believing in Christ. There would be others who might argue that. But Psalm 2 is where this is from. And Psalm 2 correctly understood it is referencing David, but it's also referencing Jesus. That is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain. We see, uh, as we go forward here, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Um, we see types like that that, are, that speak to an Old Testament, uh, maybe king, like King David, and then to in the New Testament, Christ. We see types like that in the Bible, and the antitype is almost always related to Jesus. A type in Scripture is a person or a thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. Most often, Christ. Now let's look at Psalm chapter 2 to help us with the context of this type specifically. So Psalm chapter 2 reads this way. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son today. I have begotten you. This is going to be key. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. In the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall shatter shatter them with earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there in Psalm chapter 2, um, we see some key key ideas. Many in the church say that eschatology or the study of end times events as seen in Revelation and other books, that's not important. We shouldn't really even study those. They don't apply to us now. Those things just cause division. This couldn't be further from the truth. Revelation 1.3 states that the following. It states that... Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. That is the only book that comes with a blessing for studying it. A guaranteed blessing in that way. All of God's word. We are blessed for the study of God's word. No doubt about it. And God is working in us if we do so. But this is the only book that it's stated in that fashion. Study this. Study this. There's a blessing associated. So, relating Psalm 2 and Hebrews chapter 1 here. Again, verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This term, begotten. Genau in the Greek. Many say that Jesus was created. 
It's out there. Maybe not in our church, but it is out there, even amongst churches in the States. In the United States, there are churches out there saying Jesus is the created one. No. It's really important to see. And this is a passage they would use to argue that. And other passages, well, he's begotten. He's begotten. And he's created. He's created. The writer of Hebrews says that today, okay, in verse 5, today I have begotten you. Now we have to look at that context. In Psalm chapter 2, what are we talking about today? That's the day of Christ taking his earthly kingdom on earth. It's going to be here. It's going to happen. This is yet future. Today I have begotten you. And the idea of begotten references uh, a thing that only God can do. Putting a king over. The one who inherits the throne inherits it from God. And that's what he's doing with Christ in Psalm chapter 2. He's putting Christ over. Over the earthly kingdom that he is going to rule. So the begotten there is not born. It's not the idea of he came into existence in this moment. No, this is still yet future. Christ has already lived on earth. Christ has existed since eternity. Today he's being installed as king over his earthly kingdom. That's the idea in Psalm chapter 2. And that's the idea that the Hebrew author is quoting. The Hebrew author is, he knows the Psalms, obviously, like the back of his hand, because he continues in that vein and continues to use the Psalms. So Christ is the heir now. He's entitled to dominion over the the whole earth. And that's the idea of Psalm chapter 2. To understand our passage today, the writer of Hebrews takes us back to the Old Testament to explain truths about Jesus in relationship to the future earthly kingdom. Almost all the way through. If we say there is no future earthly kingdom, this passage doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work if there's no future earthly kingdom. I know a lot of believers that I love and are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they they would say there is no future earthly kingdom. Not going to happen. We're already in it or it's already taken place. It's already been installed. I don't see that in my experience. But also, what are you going to do with this whole passage? It, It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. if There's no future earthly reign of Christ on earth. So to understand what God wants to speak to us today, we have to understand eschatology, the study of the end times. Within Psalm 2, we have prophecies related to Christ's crucifixion, the tribulation period, the beginning of the earthly kingdom, the breadth and length of the earthly kingdom, and the end of the earthly kingdom. It's all there. It's all there. We have to understand it. So the author of Hebrews is explaining some of Psalm 2 for us. He's explaining it to us. As Jesus explained on the road to Emmaus, he explained the scriptures and said, here's how I make sense in the scriptures. Here's why the scriptures were given to you in this way, to these Jews who didn't quite understand it yet. He explained. This is kind of the principle of progressive revelation. God has given us more now. In the New Testament, we were given more and more and more revelation. And if we accept God's revelation, we're in a good place. And if we refuse it and say, no, I'm holding to the old, we're in a troublesome place. That We think that circumcision saves us, or we think that following the law saves us, or we got to start the sacrificial system again. No. Progressive revelation. We now have new information that God has given us. The Jews did not have a full understanding uh, of the Messiah from their Old Testament. They had some information. 
And when they refused to believe Jesus, and he said, I am this Messiah. I am. When they refused, they refused God's revelation of himself progressively. We also see here the principle of dual fulfillment, something that's really good to understand as we study the Old Testament. There's often a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And as we look at Psalm chapter 2, David is the near fulfillment. And Jesus is the far fulfillment of that passage. And that's what we're gonna and that's what we're gonna see when we get into the Messianic kingdom. We're gonna see that far fulfillment of the passage. All right, continuing in Hebrews one. I haven't gotten too far and we're twenty minutes in. Here we go. All right, we're gonna get there. Uh <clears throat> finish first five there, and again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And verse 6, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Okay, this firstborn that's being brought into the world. When he again brings the firstborn into the world, Jesus at the second coming, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, Jesus at his second coming, this is Christ's kingdom. He will get the worship due him from the angels and let all the angels of God worship him. That's what's going to happen then. Not that they didn't worship him when he came in his first coming. They did. But I think in this second coming, it's clear they're going to worship him then as well. Okay? When he brings them into the world the second time. And he's going to get that worship because he will be king in that moment as well. And this is a quote from Psalm 97. It's an enthronement psalm, one that's coronating. Okay, that's the idea of Psalm 97. You're putting someone on the throne. It's focused on Christ coming to reign. So again, here we have the writer of Hebrews giving us more insight into the fulfillment of the prophecies of Christ's rule in an earthly kingdom. I would encourage you to go back and study each of these psalms together as you said. We can't get to them all today, but if you go back and study these together, and then uh, uh, 2 Samuel 7 is also quoted, study those in, in correlation with your study of Hebrews chapter 1. It will open your eyes to what the author of Hebrews is trying to do here. So again here, we have the writer of Hebrews giving us more insight. And as we move into verse 7, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? This was maybe the only thing in this passage that's like, what? Where? How? What is he doing here? There are a couple possibilities of what's going on in this uh, this verse. He makes his angels, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Obviously, it's another quote. Okay, from the Psalms. A couple understandings that are possible. Maybe... They will obey his will as the winds and the lightning do. Because actually that flame of fire is, the more literal translation is related to lightning. So you've got winds and this flame of fire or lightning going on. And maybe it's just that they obey his will. Just like nature does. Angels obey God's will. The wind and lightning, another possibility, the wind and lightning serve him passively. They're not like, hey, I want to go do this. Here, let me have some fun. <laughs> that's not how wind and lightning serve him. Maybe the comparison here is that's the way angels serve him. They serve him passively. It's not based on their will. 
that they walk in the room or their will that they come and serve. But based on his will, they serve him passively. Third possibility is that he can make them, uh, that he could make angels take the likeness of this wind and fire. He could make angels take the likeness of many things, whatever he would like to probably. So that's the third possibility. But for sure, the object, what this author is getting to in this passage, is to show that the angels serve God in a ministerial capacity. As the winds do, while the sun is completely different. He doesn't serve in this same way. He is Lord of all. Now verses 8 through 12. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Do you realize that the Son is Jehovah? A lot of churches in the, in, our, in the United States would not agree with that statement. They would distance themselves from that. Idea. Oh, no, 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 The Jehovah is Father. Oh, no, the Son is... No, 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 no. He's just the Son. Well, that's a problem. Because the author here quotes uh, a chapter of the Psalms that talks about this specific person who makes his angels wind of fire, his ministers a flame of fire. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. If we go back and read through that psalm together, all we're going to see is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. This author says Jesus is Jehovah. So here in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God. Here, we use the word theos, but in Psalm 102, we see Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. The only reason we don't use it in Psalm 102 is because that's a Hebrew word. Okay? They use the Greek, theos. Psalm 102 uses Jehovah eight times referencing, as we see in verse 8 here, Christ. Referencing Christ. And none is righteous. No, not one, right? We all believe that. But here in verse 8 it says, And the righteous scepter, uh, the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. None is righteous. No, not one. But Christ is, because he is son. He is righteous. And finally in verse 8, the scepter of his kingdom. We're going back to that millennial reign. Christ, the scepter of his kingdom. Verse 9 there continues, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. I think you're going to like this verse. I really enjoyed this verse. My favorite verse is I studied this chapter. Christ loved righteousness and hated wickedness. This is uh, speaking to Christ's life on earth, and his holiness. He loved Righteousness, and he hated wickedness. Now, who are these companions of joy, or these companions of, gla- of gladness uh, mentioned in verse 9? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, or joy, above your companions. Who are these companions? Who are these companions? Maybe it's the angels, right? Hmm. Actually not. If we look back, again, Psalm 45 speaks of Christ in his kingdom. But who are his companions? We are his companions of joy, his companions in gladness. Can you picture yourself at this ceremony? 
You've loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Can you picture yourself there? God the Father anointing God the Son with the oil of joy, and you're his companion. At the inauguration of the Messianic kingdom, it's a really strong possibility. I know that we're his companions. There's a really strong possibility. I would say we will be taking that ceremony in as Christ's companion of joy, watching him be anointed by his father as king. Hebrews talks about Christ as king priest, specifically. And we're going to get to watch this, I think, inauguration ceremony. If you got to sit in the first row at a presidential inauguration, would it be powerful? I think it would be. If you get to sit in the first row or the second or the third of Christ's inauguration as king, how powerful would that be? Now, after these first nine verses of chapter 1, if someone were to need more proof that Christ is greater than the angels, that might be a problem, but they would need to look no further than verses 10 through 12, uh, quoted mostly from Psalm 102. So these verses, verses 10 through 12, read this way. And you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, speaking of Christ. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become like an old garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. He, as we see in these verses, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is creator. He laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of his hands. He is eternal. Thou remainest. You do not come to an end. He is the I am. He is the same. He is unchanging there. He's all powerful. He is immutable. He's going to change the old earth and the old heavens to new. And he will not change. They'll change and he won't. And he is preeminent. Because we see in this next verse that he is going to sit at the right hand of the Father. The heavens and earth will all wear out and be rolled up as a garment and thrown out. The sun remains unchanged. Another reference to the end times here. At the end of the millennial earthly reign of Christ, 2 Peter tells us in chapter 3, that this is when the old heavens and earth will be burned or raised. R-A-Z-E-D, raised. What could survive that? His throne and scepter. He's going to continue to reign. The joy spoken of in verse 9 will survive that. The companions and companionship spoken of in verse 9 will survive that. And then in 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you? For your feet. Another rhetorical question. To which of the angels did he ever say this? He didn't. He didn't. 
Here Psalm 110 is quoted. This psalm being about Christ's final victory in ruling as king in his kingdom seems like a theme. This writer of uh, this author of Hebrews, that is his theme. He's going back to all the passages in the Old Testament in the Psalms, not all of them, a lot of them, that are talking about Jesus as king. As king. Uh, things, <clears throat> this psalm about Christ's final victory uh, and his ruling as king in the kingdom. Before Christ's first advent, Jews saw this psalm as messianic. They thought it, they already knew it was messianic, even before Christ came. They knew, and they know today that it's messianic. They just don't want to see Jesus in this psalm. They know it's about the Messiah. And somehow they want to deny that this is about Jesus. This enthronement is not for the angels. It's not their victory. It's not them ruling. This is Christ and his alone. Finally, verse 14. And they, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Those who will, quote unquote, inherit salvation. That kind of gives some people some pause and they look at that and say, wait, wait. Do some of us not get to inherit salvation? It doesn't say that. It says sent out to minister to those who will inherit salvation. If you have believed, Christ is clear about that, you will inherit salvation if you have believed. And finally, um, in summary, it's really important to work against our culture's thoughts on the supernatural that are false. It's really important. We do not call on angels. They are sent by God. We do not call on angels. They're sent by God. We go to the throne of grace. God's throne. By his Holy Spirit. We have God himself living inside us. We walk by the Spirit. We do all things by the power of the indwelling Spirit. Not by the power of an angel, not by calling on an angel, but by the Spirit of God living in us. We walk by the Spirit. Secondly, don't distance yourselves from the study of and the understanding of end times events. They are not just the book of Revelation. Uh, They're interwoven into the fabric of God's Word here in this passage. If we don't study the end times, we don't understand this passage. It's impossible. Thirdly, the kingdom of our Lord on earth, when he will rule from Jerusalem, is still to come. As he taught the disciples, pray then in this way, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us continue to pray in this way. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If it's not currently on earth as it is in heaven, then this call stands from Christ. That we should be praying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want. We want the rule of Christ. We want the rule of God in full. We need to recognize that you and I, believers, we are companions of Jesus. And we share in his joy. In that day specifically... Uh, But I think especially today, when we love righteousness, when we hate lawlessness, 
think we share in his joy. It's, it's written right there. That's, that's why he had that just Part of that joy is that he loved righteousness, hated wickedness. We share in that joy. And we are his companions in that. Finally, we need to make sure we don't have a higher view of angels than God has. And the main way that we need to do that, as expressed by this author, is we need to have a correct view of Jesus. If we have a more correct view of Jesus and his superiority, we're going to have an appropriate view of angels or any other ministering spirit or any other uh, power. If we see Jesus to be exactly who he is, all those other things fall into place. If you haven't believed in Jesus yet this morning, that's all God calls us to do, to be companions of Christ in his joy. It's to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I pray that you would consider Christ today. He is superior to any other supernatural idea that we want to reach for or stretch for or grab onto. He is superior. If you would consider that today, consider Jesus Consider Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would um, teach us by your spirit more about your son, more about yourself. God, that you would uh, grow us, that you would make us more like Jesus in our daily walk. That our understanding of who he is would help us grow, would help us see more about who we are. How we want to bring that into alignment with who your son was and how we can live after his example. How we can live after the example that Paul set for us as he pointed to Christ and many other writers in the New Testament, Father. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Change us by your spirit. In Jesus' name.